Welcome to Shout Your Cause with Sally Hendrick, a digital magazine where you can get found, get heard, and get inspired with content that challenges us to be globally minded. Our focus is on raising awareness around social justice issues, cultural differences, and to bring you the people dedicating their lives to tackling challenging topics as their way of giving back. Let us be your advocate to make your voices heard around the world. Hey everybody, my name is Sally Hendrick. Welcome back to Shout Your Cause. And I am so excited to have Dara Tucker with me today. Now, Dara, I noticed that you changed your TikTok name just in the last few days. Hello, welcome. (laughs) Hello. So tell me, what is your TikTok name right now? I have have, um, changed my name on all platforms to Dara Star Tucker. It's something I've been wanting to do for a while and um it's just just a part of that sort of alliterative i don't know i I feel like there's a lot in in names and i have kind of felt that name for myself for for a lot of years and have kind of hesitated on pushing play just because i'm already kind of out there with Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of my content already people know me as one thing but i just felt like it was time i felt like it was time it was like you know, this feels like it feels like what my name is and, and should be. And, and it's felt that way for a long time. So I just decided to hit play and, and just do it um, and not worry about, you know, all, all the stuff I have out there already in my in, you know, with just Dara Tucker. It's like, all right, people will adjust. And so will I. It's going to yeah. be OK. <laughs> well, and that's what we'll use in the show notes for this podcast episode. Okay. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Hey, so you'll, Dara, be, you'll, you'll be the you you will be the first to to use yeah Dara Star, and it also helps with the pronunciation too. I think because a lot of people do say Dara, um, yeah, and then Dara. sometimes I hear Dora or whatever. But to connect Dara with Star, it's like it it um, you know they sound alike, and it, and it rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. I like that. Yeah, well, and you. I'm in the personal development space. I, I have a social media business and an ad- advertising agency, uh, which is very different from my background. However, I've always been learning in the last few years that if you want to be something, you just put it out there. Absolutely. And act like you're already there because yes. then yes. you become that thing, yes. no matter what it is. Exactly. You let people adjust. I think I kept in my mind because I felt like I needed to make this switch for many years. And I kept thinking, oh, well, when is the right time? And is it too late? That was a big thing. It was like, is it too late to do this? And, you know, will people adjust to it? Will they think that it's silly and all of these questions? And I'm like, just freaking do it. You don't need permission to do it. And people will adjust. They may, you know, people that I know may think that it's, you know, a little bit whatever braggadocious or egotistical or just silly or whatever but they will adjust they'll make the adjustment you know we 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 know stevie wonder is, is stevie wonder that i mean you know how if someone could easily have called him arrogant back in the day you could easily call john legend arrogant for for naming himself that but we just accept yeah. it yeah he's john legend of course you know and it sounds great so I think about that about Stevie Wonder. I saw him in concert at uh, the Milwaukee Summerfest. My kids okay. were in a band and they played Summerfest, and that was like they were in, they were really young when they did that a few years ago. And Stevie Wonder had a concert going on just next door to to where we were, so that was pretty cool. But I never even actually thought about the fact that Wonder was like a, a name that he 
attached to himself. (laughs) That's the thing that you don't, you know, Alicia Keys, that's not her name. You know, we we don't even really think about it. You just, you just accept it. And and I have to stop overcomplicating it myself. And just like you said, just be it, just be it. So if, since people already are used to your prior name, Dara Tucker, now and now (laughs) Dara Star Tucker, why would they even know who you are? Tell me your claim to fame. Uh, well, I'm a singer. I don't know that a lot of folks would necessarily know who I am if they're not interested in jazz, because that's that's the genre that I'm sort of planted in. Um, uh-huh. So if you if you're plugged into the current jazz scene, you you might know my name. Um, and I've put out probably I want to say five studio albums at this point. Okay. So I've been yeah I've been working since about 2009 was when my first album came out. Okay. And I just released a new album this year called Dreams of Waking. And so that one's number seven right now on the, on the jazz radio chart. So I'm really excited. Congratulations. That. That's really cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now I'm trying to think of the, the brothers that they teach at Berkeley. They have the jazz club here in town. Oh my goodness. Their names just slipped out of my mind. My daughter just graduated from Berkeley in Boston. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, and she was um, at the summer camp. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm going to think of his name when we come to it. I literally (laughs) saw him at the Indian restaurant the other day. And, um, and I wanted to go up and talk to him, but he was deep into conversation. So I didn't say anything, um, but you'll probably know him once I figure it out. Okay. Um, so when it comes to, you know, you live in New Jersey, right? Yes. Yes. I'm just yes. outside of New York. Outside so are of New you York. forming all around all the time? What are you doing? Well, with the, um, uh, pandemic things have, have changed up a lot. I just moved to New Jersey last year from, um, from Nashville. I lived in Nashville from, have lived in Nashville for most of my professional career. That's where I so, am. Oh, are you? Yeah. Okay. So you're going to know this person when I figure it out. I'm about to figure it out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you said he owns a club there in Nashville or owns a few clubs. Yes. I, I just, I, I don't, and he teaches at Berkeley. He goes up to Berkeley, the Wooten, Wooten. Oh, Wooten. Joe, uh, Victor Wooten. Victor Wooten. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're talking about Rudy's Rudy's uh, jazz group. Yeah, I yeah. just played my CD. I just I just left Nashville. We we went back and did our CD release or album release show, and so that's where we did it. Was it was it Rudy's, which is named after Victor's brother? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'm definitely familiar with the Wooten um, family. And I'm sorry, what did you just ask? I feel like I'm, I'm not answering something you just like asked. Like what me. it is that you you're doing in your career? Are you playing out oh, all the time? Are you in yeah. the studio? What's your, what's your thing? Yeah. Well, the timing of us moving up here, because my husband is also my bass player. His name is Greg Bryant. If I talk about Greg, then you know, you'll know who I'm talking about. Nice. Um, I, I just hate to go through entire interviews going, my husband, my husband, it's Greg. So he's my bass player and manager. And uh, we just moved here to the New York area last year. So right after the pandemic hit um, or just right before the pandemic hit, we moved in January and everything shut down in March. And so, you know, to start up our schedule again is, is, it's a real process. We've probably got four or five dates on the books at this point. Okay. Um, But we have not started, you know, in, in, in earnest to like super just playing out a lot and touring yet so we've got a couple of dates up here in in jersey and then we've got one show on the books for um 
LA coming up in the next few months and one, I think in, in, in uh, Massachusetts somewhere, okay. West Watley. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. My daughter's a bass player too. So maybe, oh, wow. you know, yeah, but she Very really cool. she went towards the music business route. And so now she's working outdoor music festivals as like a oh, stage cool. manager and she'll be doing the arena tour type stuff with another company as soon as Very that cool. starts to kick back up. So I think that's so cool that we have this connection here with Nashville too. Do you have a dog? Learn unleashed potential dog training secrets with Duke Ferguson. This free video series will get you pro training tips so you can get your dog's attention, eliminate behavioral problems, and enhance your relationship in just 20 minutes a day. Sign up at sallyhendrick.com forward slash dog training. I am very <laughs> curious. Did you, have you been here since the uh, NAMAM opened up the National uh, Museum of African American Music? Yeah, we just were in Nashville last week, but we didn't get the chance to see that yeah. museum. And, oh. and a couple of, yeah, a couple of people have told us you should really get out there and see the museum. So okay. hopefully we can do that later this year when we go again. Okay, make sure you hit me up. I live two blocks away from it. Oh, wow. And I have a membership. My whole family has a membership. It is my wow. favorite museum I have ever <laughs> been really? to. And I absolutely weeped, when, you know, wept when I walked oh, through the door, just the, reading everything. It's just, it just touched me a lot. Oh, that's so I have cool. A lot of roots and history in West Tennessee is where I grew up. And I don't know, it just really touched me. And the artist who did some of the, uh, the street art that's in the more current exhibit is actually my husband's artist at his furniture business. So uh, oh, wow. for graffiti type stuff. So it's really cool. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'll have to be sure to, to reach out to you. Yeah. I, I wanted to go by, but it just, we, you know, my husband had a show, Greg had a show, and then I had a show the next night. It was just, it was a lot to try to fit it all in. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. and it's something that where you, your legs will be tired <laughs> and you'll want to, be there. <laughs> you'll want to go a couple of days in a row. Uh, yeah. just because it's hard to absorb everything. It yeah. just, it has a, a very deep experience. Yeah. So I, I think this imagine. is really cool. Really cool that um, we actually met on TikTok though. And obviously your, your name, like we said before, is Dara Star with two R's, Star, <laughs> Tucker. I noticed that. And I noticed your content because you were talking about different historical aspects around the country, especially the most recent one was the Confederate statue history. Now, yeah. I would love for you to tell me what's your passion behind teaching this history. Uh, with the Confederate statues, well, um, I am originally from Oklahoma. And as you probably know, Oklahoma doesn't really have much of a Confederate history at all. Um, and a lot of that seeps in over over time. Um, I've definitely seen Confederate flags in Oklahoma, uh, but uh, Oklahoma was not ever a part of the the truly like old deep South. Um, it was still Indian territory by the time the Civil War um, came along, and so I, I'm just not, you know, I'm not accustomed to really seeing a lot of that imagery. I've traveled all over i've lived in a lot of different states and whatever but i didn't really get to experience uh being a part of a culture that was plugged in with with a lot of that you know antebellum kind of imagery and mm -hmm. ideology until i moved to nashville 
And I got there and I remember, remember passing by that Nathan Bedford Forrest um, display that on huge the statue. 65. <laughs> 65. It's pink. It's pink. Yes. Somebody when I first, yeah. When I first moved there and I was like, oh my God, I, does stuff like this still exist? I just couldn't believe that that even existed. And I knew that a lot of Nashvilleians, including Greg, who's my husband, was, were really embarrassed by it. And I'm just like, well, how does something like this exist? in the 21st century like how did we how did we get here and so that that really was what started to pique my interest you know just moving to Nashville and realizing a lot of these these um these street names and you know little um monuments and displays and things and like there's so much of this stuff splattered you know throughout the south and in Nashville in particular I mean I went to 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 Brentwood, kind of Brentwood Franklin area. So many of the streets are named after Confederate generals. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. what is going on here? What why why are we idolizing these people so many, you know, 150 years after this war has ended? Why is this still so so commonplace? And so that really kind of sparked my investigation into like, well, you know, what's really going on here and who's who's yeah. perpetuating this and who is funding it? Because it's not, you know, it's very intentional, clearly. Right. Well, and to find out that these statues were erected during the Jim Crow era and, you know, when civil rights movement was starting to, to tick right. up into the 60s, you've got uh, all of that. And, and a lot of people don't realize for some reason they want to hold on to this ideology that this is this is how uh, this is what they should be proud of. But what happened was, is that it was used as a scare tactic or a control mechanism right. in those days to basically say, oh, well, no, I'm putting you in your place. This right. is what we're all about here, et cetera. Right. And just to cause intimidation. Right. It absolutely is. And I think a lot of people are just unaware of it and they just think of it as, oh, this is historical. And, and you'll hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. I see that a lot in my comments on TikTok oh, we just need to leave them there and don't tear them down because this is history. It's historical. It's like this thing went up in this, this, this Nathan Bedford Forrest bust that was just removed from the Capitol in Nashville. That went that. Up in, yeah, in 1978. This is not like, you know, yeah. in real history. This is like a, in a glorification or, um, you know, just a, a celebration of, of some mythology. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, not to say that these people didn't, didn't fight um, or and, and die, and I get it, a monument or a memorial, I should say. A memorial is different than a monument or a statue that celebrates a cause that's different from celebrating the dead. So if it's, you know, if it's in a cemetery or on a battlefield or something, you know, those or types of memorials. <laughs> right, a museum. Those types of memorials did go up in the wake of the Civil War, as you would imagine that they would after there's been, you know, mm-hmm. there legitimately there was death and there was sacrifice and there was suffering. And you you can understand them wanting to honor their dead, despite the yeah. fact that that the cause they were fighting for was um, was not not OK to be fighting for. But they still died. So, you know, you can understand that. And in the wake of the Civil War, those types of memorials did go up. But what we're dealing with now with these Confederate monuments and statues and busts and things, this is this is something completely different. This is like a chest thumping kind of 
you know, thumbing your nose in the face of, of someone telling you that you have to move forward with the times. And, and I think that these people need to be called out on it. They really do in 2021. I mean, yes. Yeah. Do you want to stand out from the crowd with your content? Come discover how to market yourself as an expert, as a change maker, as a positive influence on other people's lives. With the Exponential Marketing Club, you will learn the ins and outs of content marketing that makes a difference in the world. Visit sallyhendrick.com forward slash club. I mean, I remember this in high school and I was born in 1970. And so Mm -hmm. I grew up with a a huge Nathan Bedford Forest statue in the middle of our city park in a very small town in West Tennessee. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, this is wrong. There's something wrong with this because I just read about this in history class or whatever, or I just visited Pilot's Knob in, you know, almost to middle Tennessee, but it's still West Tennessee. And there's a, there's a, there's a a celebratory type of thing there as well um, around Confederacy. And then when, as an adult, like one of the things that I have been working on ever since I was about 18 years old, when I moved away from home was I wanted to really learn more and more and learn how to be anti-racist and how to push back against what I grew up with, because it was, a, it was always a struggle for me mentally as a child to deal with that. It was very blatant in my family, in my town, Mm -hmm. not from everyone, but, you know, from a lot of people, a very large majority. And so Mm -hmm. that was like something that I went on discovery with uh, once I graduated high school. Now, one of the things that I did as well was I went on a trip to Hungary in 2010 with one of my friends, and we went to something called Revolutionary Park And Mm -hmm. that park in Hungary, in Budapest, is where all of the statues from the USSR days, the Mm -hmm. Russian, you know, Lenin and Stalin and, you know, Ivan the Terrible and all of the statues and things that were put up all over the country had been gathered up and put into this park. And you could go and walk around and see these statues. And there was just this oppressive feeling about those statues and to Mm -hmm. read about the meaning of all of that and to know that they had the wherewithal and the smarts, honestly, to pull all of that away from every city park and every, you know, thing that was hanging over the people. There was a happy worker statue where the happy worker has his arm up in the air and he's working for the government type of thing, Mm. you know, and it was an oppressive place to be. It was this peasantry, you know, that was throughout the, uh, the USSR, uh, but everybody was over, you know, they were underneath these, these big statues of oppression and mm-hmm. they did not leave them out everywhere. They moved them to a place where you could still go and see it and read about the history, but they made fun of it. They have this, wow. they have this, they have this sense of humor in Hungary that is unbelievably uh, refreshing Mm-hmm. in how they handle things like this because they've yeah. been taken over by everybody. So yeah. um, anyway, it was just something that I'm like, gosh, if we just had something like that in different parts 
of the country, then people could really learn and understand and never forget because we right. don't want to forget anything that's happened in our history because that's how we learn and not repeat the atrocities. Yeah. And so I just wanted to bring, bring that up. Yeah. I mean, it's important, you know, you hear that a lot. Oh, leave them there because we don't want to repeat history, but it's like, it's got to be contextualized, you know, yeah. and putting right. them all in a park together and calling it, you know, what it is helps to contextualize that. And it's fine. It's like, all right, if you want to come look at some statues, you know, Germany has Holocaust uh, museums and they leave yeah. Auschwitz open to be toured yep. by the public. And yes, of course, the history is still going to be there, but it, you know, it has to have the proper context or, it does. or it's just, or it's just celebrating something that should not be celebrated. And I think, you know, folks have gotten away with that for a long time in this country. And when you try to address it, a lot of times, the, the people who are invested in maintaining that uh, protection that they have had, they will try to minimize your concern about it. You know, it's, it, it is a gaslighting move because it's like, well, it was important enough for you to put it up. But then when I bring it up that it shouldn't be there, then all of a sudden, oh, it's just a statue. What's the big deal? You know, why are you getting so upset about a statue? Why are you getting so upset about the, the, one of the bigger videos that, that hit for me on TikTok was the Aunt Jemima. Um, bottle when I did the the whole um, explanation of why the Aunt Jemima character is offensive and shouldn't shouldn't be on the bottle and it was right that they were removing it and a lot of the criticism was oh it's just a syrup bottle oh it's just pancakes what's the big deal about pancakes and syrup it's like well if it's not a big deal why are you fighting so hard to defend it why are you fighting so hard to keep it there um, so obviously it is it is a big deal those symbols do matter um, a lot to a lot of people because it's about representation and it's about identity for for black people and it's about our bodies and our images being co-opted and used in ways that um that that are mocking frankly and yeah. are and that and that represents what our role was in in society and and these images like you said of, of the, the statues and all of the stuff nathan bedford forrest and robert e lee and stuff that that speaks volumes, you know, to walk by a statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest or a bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest. It says a lot without saying a lot. That's the reason that they're put there is because, you know, you can make a pretty big statement without having to say anything, you know, by what we choose to honor in our public spaces. We are making a statement about what we value and about who we value and about uh, hierarchy and, um, you know, the structures that we are um, upholding as, as a culture. They are making a very big statement. So I don't subscribe to the argument that, oh, this is petty stuff. You know, oh, we have bigger things to worry about. It's like, no, this stuff is, is, is reflective no. of our values. Would you rather work or would you rather play? If we're going to go through all of this business building stuff, it better be for something that we love doing, right? Take a moment to do this quick life purpose challenge to discover what makes you truly happy. It's free. Visit sallyhendrick.com forward slash life purpose. What happens when we've got an uprising that's happening now to obliterate some of these things from our view, from our aura. And it's so important because the last time this happened in such magnitude was in the 1960s. Right. And we have a lot of people that still are alive that were 
very much into what was happening in the 1960s. I've got friends, mm-hmm. you know, from from all angles that re- that have stories and and things that they remember and things that they uh, can tell about that time frame. And until those people are gone, it's very difficult for the next generation to do better. And if you perpetuate it, and you're talking 60 years later, creating a whole new set of oppressive memorials, if you will. Right. And you're talking about continuing right. that, that <laughs> into the future to right. more generations and we never get past it. That's why it's 400 and some odd years right. since, you know, since slavery started in the 1600s until, you know, until today. And we wouldn't still be talking about this if we, um, weren't allowing things like that to happen like it did in the 60s and 40s, 50s and 60s. So I really love the fact that social media is here today. It kind of is a double edged sword in that uh, a lot of bad information can be spread around. A lot of evil can be done, if you will. But those Mm -hmm. of us who have a voice who want to obliterate the um, the misgivings and the the falsehoods and want to bring forth the truth and, uh, and new perspectives, I think mm-hmm. that it is an incredible tool. So I want to thank you very much for oh, stepping up and speaking out on TikTok or Instagram or wherever you are. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a journey for me because I was not really raised to do what I'm doing. I was not raised to be much of a of a I'll say a troublemaker. I was raised to be very obedient and very much colored between the lines and to just find, you know, my place in society and and make positive contributions and not stir up the waters too much. Uh, But I've had to sort of call myself out on that. And just, I've been inspired watching, you know, the kind of younger, you you and I are both kind of Gen X generation. and, And they called us Gen X because we supposedly didn't have a cause. We didn't have anything that we were fighting for. And it's true when we were like in, in college or whatever, um, we weren't the ones out there protesting and carrying signs and it just wasn't the thing to do. Um, we were just, as, as the John Mayer song says, we were waiting on the world to change. It wasn't that we didn't know there were, there were things that were, were wrong, but we were just, there was an apathy that set in with us after our parents' generation, which were the boomers, you know, they went out there and protested and they carried signs. And then there just was, I think, a, kind of a national exhaustion that, that set in that really kind of settled over, over us in like the 90s, and you know, early, two, early 2000s. Right, where right. In our, in our youth where we would have been out there just like, you know, fighting for something. Uh, it just wasn't, it wasn't cool to do. It just wasn't the thing to do. And I, I appreciate the millennial and the Gen Z generations for, for kind of bringing back activism, social activism. And mm-hmm. I've, had to, I've had to really kind of course correct uh, myself and realize that just sort of sitting back and allowing other people to speak out, you know, and I'm having private conversations with the people that I care about, but like the idea of being outspoken, it just, especially in the age of social media, it just, I didn't really know where my voice fit. I, I, I wasn't really finding my place. And, and my whole stance was just to um, step back and allow other people to have those conversations because I didn't want to contribute to the cacophony. I didn't want to contribute to the noise because uh-huh. that's a lot of what it felt like. It's just a lot of people just crabbing, 
and moaning and just uh, airing grievances or whatever online. And so I thought, well, how, you know, after the events of last year, really the, the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and there have been so many before them and since them, <laughs> Um, but it was like, all right, this is a, there's a shift that's happening that it's just, you know, if you are really going to turn a blind eye to this and not lend your voice to uh, the symphony of voices that are out there who really are risking something, if you're not willing to risk something, you know, what kind of a human being are you? I don't care if I wasn't raised to, to, to carry protest signs or whatever. It's like, what can I do? What positive contribution can I make? Well, I can organize my thoughts. I can do research. I can bring context and understanding to some of the issues, particularly in, in regard to racial justice. Um, these, these issues that I have thought about deeply for years and that my, you know, between my, myself and family, friends, we've discussed for years but in terms of how I can lend my voice to the national conversation that's happening, the way that I have um, settled into contributing to that conversation is by providing some historical context. And that's, that's just where I have settled in. I think that's, that's kind of, if I have a niche or a specialty, um, then that's, that is my specialty. I, I get reach outs from people from time to time going, well, this happened and that happened and are you going to speak to this and are you going to talk about this and are you going to address this and it's like I'm not really the current events day-to-day -day kind of person there, right. are, there are some there are some current issues that I do address but it's like really for me addressing historical context and helping people to understand why some of these issues are relevant to us now and how history has impacted um, a lot of the crap that we're dealing with now and how this there is a through line there is a narrative, there's a story, there's a reason that we are where we are. This stuff didn't just pop up, you know, Philando Castile and, and you know, wasn't just uh, Alton Sterling, whatever, they, Eric Garland, they weren't just uh, victims out of the blue. There is a, there's a history and there's a context for this stuff. There's a reason that uh, the black community takes up the space that it does in the world today. And, you know, the why, let's talk about the why and let's contextualize this historically. Yeah. Well, and that's not always a day-to-day -day current update kind of thing right. to do. That's right. a deep dive analytical right. <laughs> thing to do. And it takes a lot of brain power and a lot of yeah. marinating and thinking on things to be able to pull that context together. And I really appreciate that about you. I write in the, in the same way. Um, through with the, the articles and things that I've put out. Uh, I'd worked for a newspaper at one point and they were like, can you do like one of these, like two a week or something? And I'm just like, no, I mean, no, I can't do right. that. I mean, it sucks the life out of me. It got to the point where I was like, look, how about I do a really deep dive commentary once a month, but right. I can't do this every week. And it was not, you know, it wasn't my job or anything. I've run, run my business. Turn what you know into what you do. Join the platform with the most ways to monetize what you know, whether it's online courses, coaching, memberships, podcasts, newsletters, communities, or more. Kajabi gives you all the tools you need to build, market, and sell it with just a few clicks. Sign up at sallyhendrick.com forward slash Kajabi. That's K-A-J-A-B-I. 
I want to know now at this point, what is your hope for the future? Because we're still in the middle of a lot of chaos. We've got a lot of things still going on with the pandemic. And I'm afraid that we have a lot more coming with the pandemic. I think that it kind of, it kind of has been working side by side and that everybody's on this level playing field with this disease that's going around. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a lot of the reason why this uprising is, is happening. All the chaos is happening at once. What is it your hope that happens with us when we get past this phase, if we will, or into this new era? Um, Well, my, ultimate hope and and I know this sounds like some pie in the sky you know drivel or whatever but it really my hope is that that truth will prevail and that sounds it sounds sort of grandiose but the the fundamental hope behind that is that we would be um and I don't even want to necessarily say restored because I don't feel like we've ever really had a society that was grounded in in truth in in this country I feel like you know, when people get nostalgic, I'll just say when white people get nostalgic about, you know, the olden days, the good old days, the 50s and the 60s. I'm a huge fan of like classic films and television and movies. And I love that stuff. But I don't like the way that that goes hand in hand with this sort of almost false nostalgia where we're looking back to something that actually never existed or that only existed for a small strata of the population. And so in, in, in my estimation, I don't know that we've ever really had full, genuine reckoning, understanding or appreciation for, for truth in this country. And I just, I want us to stop being afraid of, of truth so we can have these conversations, we can have these discussions, and it doesn't have to mean that you are threatened uh, because you are you are a white person, and a lot of times white people are implicated in in a lot of the, the wrongdoing that's happened um, when we have conversations about racial injustice. But I, I really want people to stop being afraid of having truthful conversations and to be willing to see the past for what it was. You know, understanding that it, it was not an ideal time for everyone just because a certain segment of the population was living high on the hog or you know experiencing prosperity or unprecedented happiness it doesn't mean that that that's how society um that's what we need to go back to because there was a huge swath of the population that was being um subjugated and undermined and marginalized and and so if we have to have marginalization and subjugation of a huge swath of the population in order for the other swath of the population to feel that they have happiness and prosperity and safety and wealth and all of this stuff. It's like, that's, that's not a trait. That's not a trade-off that should be okay with anyone. No. We've got to, we've got to grapple with our history and be truthful about what our history is. So that's, that's what I want. I want, I want us as a, as a culture and as a society to become lovers of the truth. I have a background in, 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 um, in, in a, I don't want to say religion, but like my, my family was very, you know, very, um, very much embedded in, in faith and in spirituality and mm-hmm. all that. And, and the, that's, you know, it's actually a line from the Bible. I don't know what the exact scripture references, but that men be lovers of the truth. And that to me is where our um, so-called salvation as a culture lies in becoming lovers of the truth. And it's like, if we can move forward in, in truth, we can find a lot of common ground 
after that. We may not all ever agree and, and, and you know, I think peace in itself is, is maybe a little bit of a, a, a little bit of pie in the sky talk, but just being lovers of the truth. Let's just start there. That's my hope for the future. It's the truth, the whole truth and nothing but, nothing the, truth. but the truth, not right. just truth and perspective, because truth and perspective is the, is the enemy here in a way. And also yeah. our friend in a way, we've got to be able to allow for all the entirety, all truths. and perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's tough and it's, and it's complicated sometimes because it's like, you know, it's, it's, it, the, the truth can be difficult to digest and it's not simple. Sometimes the truth is, is it is plain, but it's sometimes it's not simple. Um, but I think we've got to, we've got to develop an appetite for the, the um, sometimes complex nature of the truth. And I, I'm not a fan of this, uh, these, this term that's really popular now. My, well, this is my truth. I'm telling my truth. I said, no, there is the truth. I don't like the idea of that word kind of being toyed with because mm-hmm. we can't even count on media. We can't even count on our the, the sources and where we get our information from to, to give us any kind of a grounding, like a ground zero. This is truth. We have got to get more connected with what that really is. And we got a lot of confused people out yeah. here who don't even know, even if they want to define um, bedrock and truth. They don't know how to find it anymore because we're, our uh, media is so fractured and so fragmented and anyone with a website can purport to um, be communicating truth. And we, we've got to develop a respect and an understanding for what, what truth really is. Yeah. I agree with you. I love that perspective of this truth, you know, <laughs> if you will. And the last thing I want to mention, do you write music as well? Yes, you I do. Most of, yeah, yeah. Most of my album, this 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 current album is mostly covers. I wrote one song called uh, "Do We Sleep," uh, but my albums previous to that, most of them contain my my own music that I write. Yeah. Excellent. I I'm curious if any of this will bleed into your music, into your yeah. writing at some point because you've taken up this cause. Uh, it's something that, and maybe you don't think of it as taking up the flag for this cause, but I feel like you are, and I appreciate Thank that very much. Thank and, you very much. Um, and I, I definitely want to celebrate it. So that's why I'm here to shout your cause. If there's anything <laughs> else you want to leave us with. Uh, maybe a link to your website or an album name and we'll I'll make sure people know about it well the album the current album is called dreams of waking and it's available really at all digital outlets um, you can actually find the physical copy at Target and Walmart but it's, oh, it's good. On, yeah it's on you know Spotify iTunes Amazon all of that it's called dreams of waking it's Dara okay. Tucker so so I I made the mistake Dara of not Tucker. putting it out under my current name uh, which is Dara Star Tucker. So you'll find it under Dara Tucker, okay. uh, Dreams of Waking. And then of course I'm, I'm online, daratucker.net or, or darastartucker.com. You can find it there too. Uh, okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place. And um, yeah, I, that, that, yeah, that song, Do We Sleep is actually, it's, it's really cool that the album itself is like a social justice album. And it has a lot of protest music and a lot of just like come together and love each other music. And then that song, that original song that I wrote for the album called Do We Sleep, it actually is um, referencing a lot of this, this kind of stuff we've been talking about um, good, today. Good, good. I'm going to go yeah. listen to the lyrics and I'm going to 
break that down. And when you get back to Nashville, let me know. And I will give you a personal tour of the museum here, the National Museum of African American Music, because you will love some of these exhibits they have, the interaction and how they, the mishistory of music and the connections between artists, their influencers and who they influenced and how you can explore all that and literally get downloads of those music uh, playlists onto your um, wristband. Oh, wow. You, yeah, they give you a micro website that is yours, all yours of everything that you pick up throughout the museum for you to go back and use later. But it only lasts for like two months. So you have to make sure you go download things before yeah. they go away. It's a fun, oh, cool. fun place. So make sure oh, you cool. look me up. <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much. And that's the end of our interview today. Thanks for being here, everybody, listening to Shout Your Cause, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening today. My name is Sally Hendrick. Be sure to visit our website for show notes and more information on how you can inspire others. If you would like to contribute content to our magazine, please apply on our website at shoutyourcause.com. 